Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Lewis, and we have a Hall of Famer on today. Speaking of Hall of Famers, I'd like to send a shout out to Big Chill, Fred Childress, Henry Burris, my old quarterback, and John Huffnagel, my old coach, who just announced today that they will all be going into the CFL Hall of Fame. Me and Henry won a great cup together. Me and Huff won two great cups together. And it's someone I've always looked up to and admired, and he's always got the best out of me. So I just want to send them a shout-out. And I hope you're ready to hear this Hall of Fame conversation with me and my guest today. He's going to tell you about his journey. He's going to tell you about his path. And he's going to tell you exactly how he made it to the CFL Hall of Fame. Without further ado, this is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Today's guest is from San Diego, California. Went to Cal State Fullerton, where he broke numerous records as a quarterback. Also helped lead his team to a college World Series win. Was drafted by the Detroit Tigers in the seventh round before heading north to the CFL, where he was a four-time Grey Cup winner, three-time three-time Grey Cup MOP, a CFL MOP, most outstanding player, in year 21 of his 23-year pro career. When he retired, he was first all-time in passing yardage with 72,381, tied for third all-time in rushing yardage with 11,920 yards, combining for 84,301 total yards as a pro. Welcome to the show, one of the greatest athletes and competitors ever, and CFL Hall of Famer, Damon Allen. Man, hey, it's always great to be on your show, too. <laughs> because you always have... I'm trying to say all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you have to hold your breath for 10 seconds to make sure you don't have uh, the COVID. So, uh, But no, I think when you do that introduction, I'm always... Um, it always brings me back to, man, it's almost like Picasso. Like you never appreciate what you've done until you're actually gone and you're, yeah. you're away from the game. And, and every time I think of uh, when someone, you know, spits out like what you just done in your career, I always go back to the, the year that I didn't play football. <laughs> My 10th grade year. Oh, okay. Yeah, my tenth grade year, where I thought I was too small, so I didn't play, and uh, it was this coach who wanted me to uh, play the last five games on their JV team. He said, "Once you uh, come out, because we saw you play in Pop Warner, and uh, we know you can play this game." And and for me, it's like when I seen these guys, I was like, "Man, I, man, they big. I'm done playing." <laughs> and I started just playing baseball, but the coach eventually. Uh, you know, convinced me to play the last five games. And the five games that I played in the JV team in my 10th grade year, I threw 20 touchdowns in five games. Oh, and wow. then the next year, I was the starting quarterback of varsity. We won CIF. And then we won CIF again. My uh, 12th grade year, uh, lost two games in those two years. And then I got a scholarship to go to university, <laughs> right? So That's in that, that mindset, it's always crazy when I think back you know, how important it is to believe in your skills, 
believe in yourself um, and, and, and don't allow anything that can distract you from actually accomplishing what you can. And, and I always believe like self-doubt is the biggest, <laughs> is the biggest tool against individuals than, um, than anything else. Because it self-doubt, because I thought I was too small, literally took me away from the very thing that I was passionate about was football. How big were you? Oh, my goodness. I don't know, because I, I used to tell you, I said I was only about 160 <laughs> pounds in the CFL, so I can't even imagine how much I weighed. 130? Wow. 130 pounds, 135 pounds playing high school football. How tall are you? It's, uh, by that time, uh, now I'm like six one, but like saying during that time, I might've been like five ten, oh, wow. if that 130 some pounds. So you, you can imagine like, you know, talking to yourself out of not playing when you see these yeah. guys like 200 some pounds and they're big, but, but I always, um, even though I, I would question in my size, I never questioned my, like my skill set when I, when I, you know, step on the field. Yeah. That was the one thing I didn't. And so it was that coach. And that's why I always uh, are big on uh, amateur coaches, high school coaches, uh, because it was a coach who, who got me back into football and saying that you can do it. I saw you play when you were in Pop One. Oh, yes. That's the special part, right? Is uh, yes. the people that see something in you that you don't see in yourself at the time, and then you go and make it happen. And that's, right. that's awesome. Yeah, a lot of accomplishments through the career, through the years. How you been right now with, with everything going on? As far as um, health-wise? Yeah. Health-wise, I've been good. I mean, now it's, I think, year 11 out of the game in the CFL. I haven't had any issues uh, as far as health-wise. You know, you still run and throw and, and still do all these things. So I'm very thankful there to be able to leave the game healthy um, and haven't had any issues uh, from uh, leaving the game. But it, but it really comes back down to like, if you're healthy, you do as much as you can to give back and, and make yeah. a difference, right? That's always been one of my things is to give back to community because that's what was taught to me in San Diego, you know, among five brothers and, a, and a one girl in, the, in Alan's household. And uh, it was quite competitive, but at the same time, you know, my father was that very amateur coach. You know, he was the baseball coach when we played. He was a football coach. He coached my brother, uh, Harold and Marcus. And so he was always involved, and my mom was always involved in team sport, uh, was the team mother. You know, as you always say, the father's coaching, the yeah. mother's the team mother. You know, when we stayed at the baseball diamond, I mean, we stayed at the baseball diamond. All day. The whole day because <laughs> there's four brothers playing on four different teams. Yeah. So in that aspect, I mean, you just continue on with what was taught, what was ingrained in you about giving back. And, and it would always be, to me, I always thought it would be a shame to have all this information and knowledge and not share it, right? Yeah. And so that's what makes it easier to do the things that you do and have joy in doing it because – a lot of the kids that I see, they have some of the same, um, you know, aspirations and the, and the brightness in their eyes when you see them about teaching them something. And and then there are some kids that, man, you can make it, bro, just as long as you just believe and put in the work. 
That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I always notice kids that, because I know that pro sports is more about mental, how well mm-hmm. you can learn, how well you can right. apply, and things like that. It's not just talent. Like, talent mm-hmm. will give you more opportunities. So you can get cut 10 times if you have a lot of talent. Where if you don't right. have a lot of talent, you're only going to get cut once. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's right. So, and you're going to be looking for another job. Exactly. Yes. So talent's going to give you more opportunities to make it there. But when I train kids, I always look at who can pick something up. Well, mm-hmm. you know, out of the first two or three times we talk about it, can they go out and apply it? And that's mm-hmm. how I kind of gauge how well they can do. Right. Right. You, you've worked with quarterbacks for a long time. Mm-hmm. What, is, what are some of the things that you look at when you're looking at these young quarterbacks and what do you try to teach them and what are you, some of the things you see in them to, to know that they're going to be successful? You know, it's funny. With my show, I always ask the same question. What is your, the three characteristics a quarterback must have to, to really be successful? And I think it goes along with this, this question. So when I see quarterbacks um, – and there's a lot of characteristics that make of a, a really good quarterback and a great quarterback, and they all need to have. But I think my three most important, um, I would say decision-making is one. Mm-hmm. Their ability to make good decisions is one. Number two would be accuracy. Accuracy and throwing the ball after they've made that decision and how sharp they could be in pitching and catching with the receivers. And then number three, uh, I say toughness. Yeah. Mental toughness, physically uh, being tough, because if I explain to you, then you'll say, man, <laughs> number one. Number three, toughness might be number one, because if you're not, if you don't show for a quarter, if you don't show no toughness in the pocket, it will affect your decision making inaccuracy. Yes, it will. Yes, stepping it will. In there, stepping in there to make that throw when you know you're about to take a hit. <laughs> right. right. And we all know um, quarterbacks that we play against and some of the things we just say, man, all you got to do is hit them in the mouth and they're done. Yeah. Right? So I, when it, when it's, I, even though I put toughness as number three, toughness really is number one. It's the, uh, the toughness of uh, taking on criticism. It's a variety of different things that they have to show toughness with. And if they can show that aspect of it, then they will could be on their way because you can teach accuracy. Yeah. You can teach better uh, um, uh, decision-making. And so for me, it's those three that I actually build, that I look at a quarterback uh, for those three things, even though, like I said, they have other attributes that is cool and that can, that's needed, you know, confidence and all those things. But those are my three, toughness, Decision making and accuracy, and that has and nothing to do with face, skill. That has awesome. nothing to do with skill. And see, that's what and I tell kids. You, like, and if you have important. The, and, right, if you have the skill that matches all those things, then you have the ability to, you know, to write your own story and your journey, and you know how, how your story is going to end. Yeah. Um, so for me, is yeah. I mean, I look at this quarterback. Number one is toughness. I got to see how tough you are. Uh, can you take criticism? Do you fall in the tank? You know, if you're getting criticized or do you push to get better and all those different things. And, um, you know, a lot of those things you don't think about when, when you're actually, you know, evaluating yourself 
but I eluded all those things. I had all those things. Does, does quarterbacks get too much credit and take too much blame? Because in the beginning, from the first time I played football, it was always taught defense wins championships. But now, for some reason, over the last 10 years, it's really been – we know that you have to have a good quarterback to win games consistently, <laughs> right? right? If you don't have a good quarterback, you can't win consistently. You can win right. games, but you can't win consistently. Right. So how do you feel about the narrative changing from – changing over from defense wins championships to now quarterbacks – having to win championships to submit to their legacy? Well, I think it, it's, it's two different, uh, two different plates that we're, we're talking about. Like when we talk about just the overall team game uh, football, I still believe in that aspect that defense do win championships. And I always say that uh, offense just uh, brings the entertainment, right? That makes yeah. the game exciting and paid. those things. And, and I, the teams that I've been on that won championships, they all were pretty good defensive teams. Yeah. At some point. Um, or they, at some point, they moved into a really good defensive team. And so in that aspect, yeah, they stopped teams from scoring, which is <laughs> uh, when you look at all sports, they're all pretty much the same. You defend and you score. And now in between is how you play the game. So I mean, we look at all sports, it's, it's built just like that. Um, far as the, the quarterback and, and, and figuring out their, their legacy, it's always built around championships. So for a quarterback to have a legacy <laughs> or to consider to be great and all those things, it's always been championships uh, have to be in the conversation of a really good quarterback. Now, we can dissect some quarterback and say, man, this guy was really good. But you don't talk about him being the, the greatest because you don't have no championships. For example, Dan Marino. Yeah. You know, pound for pound. I mean, throwing, accuracy, decision-making, all those things. And Dan Marino was great. Yeah. You know, he was one of the first ones can, you know, down there through for 5,000 yards his first year went to the Super Bowl, and he had all the attributes of being really good in the pocket and decision-making and throwing the ball. But no one talks about Dan Marino when it comes to being all-time great because he don't have any championships. And so for a quarterback, it, it makes it tough because that's what you're judged on, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're judged on championship at the end of the day, right? <laughs> so – and, and, and there's quarterbacks that have multiple opportunities to, to have championships. Like, for example, Anthony Cavill. He, the guy been to eight Grey Cups. Only the guy three. has three rings. Yeah. Does that hurt three you? Rings. Well, did that hurt me? No, does that hurt him? Getting to eight I, and only I, winning three. I would think so because part of the three was the, the – uh, <laughs> The was it the, the the penalty the missed field goal that Saskatchewan should have won that game thirteen men yeah so that's part of his three you had that part of the three mm. right so yeah you would you would have to look at the the legacy the times he'd been there you know did he fulfill 
did he uh you got to look at all those things right yeah. and so did he had a great career absolutely <laughs> the guy is the all-time leading passer in in pro football at 78 70 78,000 yards man That's so crazy. you got to look at that aspect you know compared to you know anyone else but the fact that getting there eight times i mean i know if i had been there eight times and based on my percentage of winning and losing then <laughs> you played in five have, right i played in five and got four and four and like so the, and there's one of them i didn't even really play in so there's like you know there's three games that i started in and one that i came off the bench and one and so do you win all the ones you started yes that's awesome yeah, so like I said, it doesn't take anything away from, you know, his greatness and those things. But th those are the conversations that, you know, you know, probably real guys will look at and say, well, man, the guy's been to eight times. You know, if, if Brady would have went to eight or nine and, and won just a few, they still would be saying that Joe Montana, Joe Montana was, is the greatest because you went to all four and one. Yeah. So – and prior before that, I mean, look how many he had to win just to even pass Joe Montana, <laughs> right? He has what six now? Uh, yes, and I think he's been what eight times? Yeah, six out of eight. That's crazy. And the, the two that he he didn't win, they were winning in those games. The Giants beat him twice. So if he didn't play the Giants, or probably played anybody else, the guy would probably have eight on eight. <laughs> Eight, eight, eight Super Bowls to and that <laughs> one. Just the ball just stuck to David Tyree's helmet, right? And it, it, like yeah. Eli gets out of the sack twice and just throws it up. Like absolutely. Think right. about that. Yeah. You know, man. And I mean, look, look, think about that. Like Eli, if you look at Eli's career, and then you know those two Super Bowl wins, like they. they they put him in the like saying the conversation of being a Hall of Famer, right? Yeah. If he didn't have those two wins, you would never uh, assume that Eli' career <laughs> would be a Hall of Fame career. No, because he didn't win consistently. Mm -mm. And if you just look at his numbers, I mean, they're not impressive either, as well. Yeah. When it comes down to it, right? So, but the fact that he won those two Super Bowls put him in those conversations. What do you think about Pat Mahomes' new contract? Because at first everybody was all big on it. Now they're kind of dissecting it. What do you think about it? Well, the the, the way they're talking about it, you know, if he can make that amount of money and then still be, uh, you know, uh, team friendly to be able to sign other free agents. I mean, that's I think that's a smart thing to do. And the fact is, for him, as, as talented he is, he has a really good system that uh, that fits, you know, his skill set, and, and which makes him more dangerous. Because just imagine if he was with somebody else's system and not the Kansas City Chiefs system. Uh, you know, really, how good he would be, or if you look at, I always, I always dissect to see, like, really, how good is he, right? And he's clearly he's going to get better. Yeah, <laughs> he's already good right now. Um, and he's, um, you know, he's a joy to watch, too. Yeah. I think he said last year was the first year he actually understood defenses. <laughs> Which is scary. <laughs> <laughs> Which is scary. But and then I always look at him and say, let's see how good he is. Like, how good would 
Russell Wilson be if he was in that system? Yeah. They they would be pretty good still. Or Lamar Jackson was in his system. Um, He's so special. But but that makes him even more special because the way he can throw the football is different from Lamar Jackson. And, um, and like I said, the closest thing to me, you know, to him is probably Russell Wilson, right? Um, when you look at quarterback play and decision-making and just being solid, you know, from every aspect of the game. And so when somebody was asking me, I think um, um, my ex Desiree asked me, like, who in today's game will you be uh, very similar to? And I was like, oh. And she thought Mahomes. Yeah. Who do you think, Russell? I had a combination of Russell and Holmes. Yeah. But uh, I said I like the discipline of Russell of playing the position, but the, like seeing the creativity of uh, Mahomes, I said, that's, that's what I thought I had the creativity, the way I played was of Mahomes. Because like, yeah, he's just out there playing, right? Like just sandlot football. Fun. Yeah, but he, like saying the discipline, and his discipline is gonna continue to grow and get better because now when he starts to get like Russell Wilson mindset and how to play the game, then it becomes very easy. The game's like become slow motion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the part when you want to see, it's like, okay, when the guy gets it, like you said, he's just now started to understand defense. <laughs> the guy could put up points, man, as fast. And, and yeah. So like when he starts to understand defense, the game's going to be really slow for him and he can make all the throws already. That game against the Titans, when they're down 21-0, and then by halftime they're up 28-21. Do it. Unbelievable, man. And you're right. And don't let him get a good defense. It's crazy. Now, they all of a sudden come back to the, the old Kansas City Chief defensive team. Man, there's no telling how many uh, Super Bowls that they can win. Yeah. He's going to – He's. I believe, you know, he'll he'll probably play another 13, 15 years if he can stay healthy. No, absolutely. And for him, it comes down to, like, health. Yeah. Health. Because, like I said, he has, every, yeah, he has everything in place, like, for him to, like, you know, to springboard. <laughs> how long do you think he can – how long do you think he can play with that arm strength before it starts to go down and then – can he still be successful without it? As long as he doesn't have any arm troubles, he's going to throw like that all the time. Because that's the one thing that, like, uh, when I looked at when I was throwing, and even now, like, you know, I'm 50. I'm going to be 57 this year. And the way I throw the football now, it would be no different if you see me throw. Really? You like He was throwing the same way when he left the game. Right? You still got the pop? I still got the pop. Mm. Still got the pop. I can still drop down. I still throw on a run and have that little jump hop. Uh, throw <laughs> right. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> hey, my left hand is better than my than it has been, like, because I throw left-handed too. Right? And so those things, you would say, like, man, this dude, man, because he can still play. But I'm 57 years old, right? So the only thing different would be, 
I haven't took a hit in 11 years. That's a good thing. Right, that's a good the thing. The recovery right? takes a long time when you get older. Right, absolutely. Right. So <laughs> I always say that I, I can make a team and be a backup and if I just play a few games, a few quarters here and there, right, you know, come in or whatever it is, I can do that. But, uh, like, to be able to play an 18-game schedule, like, that's hard to do nowadays and, and as you get older because the wear and tear week in and week out, I mean, that's something that uh, – at times it was difficult to do because in my 23 years, I pretty much, I pretty much started 21 of those 23 years. That's crazy. Right. That That's just so, crazy to think. Yeah. We're going to get into that. Yeah. We're going to get into that. Um, <laughs> before we get there though, your golf game, been working on the golf game. How's it looking this year? Golf game is good. And I think um, part of it is due to the fact is I played in the Canadian Open last year. Did you? The Canadian Amateur was Open. They get, oh, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a whole different ball game, man. Uh, and let me tell you what, what, what I really learned. Like, you got to be in shape. You got to be in shape when you're playing these, uh, these Canadian Amateur Tour. Because now you're playing with guys that, that this is what they do for a living. Yeah, like everybody who's on that, the amateurs they can strike it, man. And for me, is when I was when they gave me the exemption to play in the Canadian Open, um, I was playing at this course, like preparing for it all the time. But the the thing that I didn't do is I didn't walk. So oh. I, I I was using the cart the whole time preparing for it. But when the tournament came, I had to walk that course, and that's where it, it got me because. I, it was exhausting. Like the first round was exhausting. And we were playing a 7,000 uh, that day and it rained and it became windy. So the course became even longer. Like when you're playing, you know, part three is the 233 yards. Yeah. It's playing two, it's playing 216. But with the wind and the rain, it was playing like 233. I was using a hybrid off the tee to get to the green. And so that made the, the course long and very difficult to play but the grind of being exhausting after the first round and then the next morning I had a tee off at like you know nine o'clock in the morning it was like an early tee off man it was just like the wear and tear of those of preparing yeah. you got to be in shape but the experience made me a better golfer like overnight uh, and playing with you know really good dudes like you know the dude i was playing with i was like man i don't even want to slow this dude down <laughs> <laughs> but i played all the par four the par fives and probably five over the first uh first day the, where i had the trouble was the par threes i was plus 10 on the par threes okay. they were all long and Unfortunately, they had put in new sand and all the things with like two or three days before. So the sand was really soft. And if you got in the sand, it was very difficult to get out because it was like a pillow, pillow feather, you know. So that was very difficult. But now, like, since I've played in that experience, it just made me a better golfer, like understanding, like, how to play, being more patient, yep. uh, your reads, and, and enjoying the game a little bit more right and realize like how difficult it is 
to, to be on tour or to be just an amateur and making it is uh, made made me really appreciate like the the time you have to put in to be good and consistent. Yeah, I play with um, a guy out of Calgary who's a he's got his pro card. And that's mm-hmm. a different that's a different golfer right there. We'll play and it's just like man, just to know the consistent the sound. The, the sound of everything, right? <laughs> I remember the other day, me, him, and, and the brother-in-law went to play, and he missed a – he hit a bad shot on a par three and rolled right up against the fence and had to go over sand and everything, and he hold it. And I was just like, man, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 all the shots that they have in – precise landing where they want to put the ball it's all those kind of details that like you don't really think about like when you're just playing like part of my issue is like I think I can make every shot (laughs) right yeah and there and there are times I just need to take my medicine like you hit out of bounds hit it back in the fairway get a bogey and 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 get off the course right and get off that uh, that hole right but no I try to make that shot and end up being a double or, you know, sometimes triple because, you know, I'm so aggressive when it comes to like, oh, yeah, I can make that shot, right? Yeah. <laughs> this tough rock. Take your message. Go sideways. <laughs> Don't go up. To, yeah, right? You. <laughs> My dad talks to me a lot about golf, the course management now, right? Mm-hmm. Learning that because some courses you'll play, I'll play and it'd be like 350s, 370 par fours. Right. I'm like, oh, I could drive it 285, 300, so I'm going to be within 100. He's like, well, if you're struggling with your 100 in game, why don't you hit it less and then go right. 150 out? And then you mm-hmm. can hit that, you know. So just learning that course management and not just always, I want to get as close to the hole as possible after the drive, and then we'll, no, make, absolutely. we'll go from there. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> because what ends up happening is, too, is like the things that we don't work on either is like we want to drive down there. Okay, once you get down there, now you got a 50-yard shot. Like how often do you work on a 50-yard shot? Exactly. Right? But, you know, you might hit your pitching wedge really good from 110, 120 yards in, right? Your pitching wedge is really solid, right? It's like, okay, I just use my hybrid to get up there. I hit my hybrid about two-something, and now it'll be 130 out, right? Which is a pitching wedge. And – it's those kind of matters instead of saying, okay, I'm going to use my driver. <laughs> now, you know you got to hit your driver, <laughs> you know, straight to be able to get it in that neck area or whatever it may be at a 300, you know, because they're always going to have a little bit of trouble on a, on a, on a hole that's 350. Yeah. It's, you know, it's going to be. Because you're trapped. Right? right. You're trapping yourself in to, to hit this shot that you, like mm-hmm. you say, you don't work on very much. I try to punch and run everything, but lately I've been playing courses that's really thick around the green, right. so I come up short. So, Here's, this, is, this is me, right? So I, I played last week. We, got, we played with these, uh, these four dudes I play with every weekend. So we play at this course. We tee off. Boom. Par five. I hit one down on the right side. It's nice. Um, Holes playing like two, five twenty-five. I'm 220 in. So we had this conversation because I was already going to the green. I said, I need to get a good warm-up, right? I didn't have a good warm-up. And we were talking about, like, man, like, in this situation, I, wanted, I really want to just lay up 
Yeah. <laughs> and so he was like, yeah, I didn't have a good warm-up session either. So 220 out, I bring out my four iron, and I'm going, no, I should just lay up because, like you said, I didn't hit no four iron on the green <laughs> yeah. or warm-up. I mean, I used no four iron at all. And so I got up there and had this conversation, but otherwise, it, fuck it, I'm going for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so here's the thing. And so I go for it. And it's like, when you look up there, it's like, this man is so much trouble. Trees to the right, trees to the left. <laughs> There's a, a ravine in front in the hole, 220. And I, I, and I said, you know, I'm going to get there. End up pushing it right to the trees, right? And I had to take a drop. Mm. But then I hit one real tight and I end up getting a par. But at the end of the day, it's like, I, if I had just said, hey, David, just lay up because, you know, you're not loose yet. You're yeah. not warmed up yet. And those kind of things, right now, you'll be shooting for birdie, right? Instead yep. of that. And so that's the kind of stuff I'll be doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you, you be playing with Troy, too. Troy Mullins. Yes. I played yeah. with her, uh, the, the Joe Carter event. And there's a few other girls that, that come to that event. And these girls, they play on many tours and stuff. And so these girls can play, like Sasha. Uh, Miko, they were all at the Joe Carter's event. Um, and they all got game, man. Like, I played with Shasta, and she, she shot 67, man. Mm -hmm. Play on these mini tours. They solid, yeah. right? But Mullet's long. Yeah, you're going to put in a word for me, man. I need to get <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> you like to. I need oh, to get, oh, on, get yeah, on the I podcast. Uh, you know, she played in the American Century uh, yesterday. Did she? She was down there late. Yeah, they let her play. So, because um, that was the first time I've seen a, a, a young lady in the American Century uh, tournament televised, but she was in there. What tees does she tee off when you play? Did she go from the – she played from the men's tees in the back? She was playing She was playing with us at the Joe Carter event. Mm. Yeah, she was like the long drive champion, wasn't she? No, she long, man. Yeah. She hit the ball a long way. <laughs> yeah, she, she hit the ball a long way. Yeah. Her body structure, you know, helps yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, she she puts it out there. Who's more popular in Toronto, you or Pinball? I would say Pinball, uh, to the fact that he this is the only team he's been with. You know, he's been the president, and like I said, when you're able to focus and be in one city um, at one time for all those years, I mean, you know, clearly. Um, you know, he would be pop more, the most popular because you know they talk about him being having the ability to run for mayor in this in the city. So <laughs> you had to be here a long time. You know, they're talking about you know pinball can run for mayor, but yeah, but you're more out there though. I, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of things just as as well as him. But you know, I always, I always, I've always looked at myself globally because yeah. I played on multiple teams. I played in BC. I played in Edmonton, played in Toronto, played in Ottawa. So I always looked at myself as a national, you know, uh, a national athlete. Yeah. Because I played in all those cities. We talked so about I've never had – that's why they always see, they always call me Nomad, you know, Davis <laughs> fell backwards. <laughs> they said they're Nomad because you don't have a home, but he's been in all these cities, right? So That's it. We talked about your show earlier. How's that going? And how did you come up with the idea of the whole nine yards – um, your Instagram lives. 
uh, the whole nine yards is the same as you, you want to know the absolute truth of an individual. And also the whole nine yards it will, will be the title of my book. Okay. So the whole nine yards, that's where it all came about is the title of the book. Um, the name of the show and what it, what it means. Right. And then the fact that it had my number in it. And so it made it really cool to call it the So when my book comes out, we call it the whole nine yards. Right. And you've had the, some great absolute truth. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> um, it's been cool because I've, I've, I've opened it up to a uh, quarterback to uh, quarterback to quarterback segment. Um, and then like this week, I'm going to have uh, the great, Brian Kelly on awesome. the receiver for the yep. Eskimos that I played with. He also played with Moon. And so I told him I wanted to really dive in, you know, have the, the comparison of, you know, the time he played with Moon, the time he played with me, uh, the difference in the game. Because, you know, this guy, he only played nine seasons. He retired after nine years. He put up some numbers. He averaged uh, – yeah, he averaged like over had over a hundred touchdowns, had eleven thousand yards in those nine years, and that was the one thing I wanted to talk to him about as well. Is you know, you know, why did you retire after nine seasons? Because he could have clearly could have went past that, and I wanted to talk about his route running, and yeah, because it's always been legendary about you know the film that was you know going around after he retired you know, how to, you know, run one-on-one routes and the way he stemmed him, the way he ran his balls, the way he thought about. Uh, and the fact, because he wasn't fast, but he was always considered like the Steve Largent yeah. in the Canadian Football League. So, yeah, that's a, a pretty cool dynamic that I played with. And he was special, bro, I'm telling you. The way he thought the game and, I mean, he would uh, work on – uh, guys like throughout the game and then he tell you like right now call call this play <laughs> like what he tell you now is the time that we run this post corner on him because I've been working on him the whole game like man for real and then when he run it man it's whew. the guy's running to the post he's running to the corner I mean that's how it was like he's setting it up setting it up the whole time and uh, and that and the way he thought about you know route running was really cool you know, we, we just talk about golf and, you know, the course management and things like that. Right. You can tell, like, the great greatest athletes are, are doing that constantly, right? Mm. They're setting up everything. Uh, I mean, I always knew in the fourth quarter what routes I, I could get open on it, right, by the how the game was going, how aggressive a DB was, just how he was playing me and, and different things like that. So, it, but when you can do it mentally like that, it's very easy to go to the coach and say, you know, yeah, let's do this. Or, you know, right. this is how I feel. Like, look, I've been setting this up. Or, um, you know, I used to run the out and up because I used to run the out so many times from the field. That <laughs> out and up was just money. So I always knew, <laughs> right? And I would even give him a little bit of lean early. Like, you know, I'm not tired, but I'm going to give you that little lean early like I'm lazy with it. Right. So it's um, it's just great to see and to tap into great minds because of how well and how mentally they attack a game. No, absolutely. And, and like the real great players really think of the game mentally and set things up 
and they study their opponent, right? Yeah. And that's something that, you know, great players do. They study their opponent. They understand, like, what routes they can run, what they're good at. When you know all of those things, right, it's, it makes the game a little bit easier. And then the timing of when, when to run uh, those routes because, you know, Kelly on running plays, like, he, that's when he would do the most radical stuff. He'd line up real tight and see positioning of what the corner would do. Or he lined up real wide, super wide, and see, you know, he would come in uh, how hard he, how hard the lineup would be inside of him. Because I, I've never seen a guy like cover three, run a post corner, and get outside of the guy because he lined up wide. I mean, this dude would be lined up two yards from the line of scrimmage to get the guy inside the way he wanted to run the post corner on vert cover three. And it's like, okay, because what the corner going to do? He's going to line up to the boundary with him? Like, you going to go all the way to the sidelines with him? No. So, he's gonna so he would do things outside. like that yeah. to see, yeah, he would line up real wide to get inside and put him the guy right where he wants him to be. I'm like, man, you still ran up uh, post corner on cover three and got outside the guy. Yeah. And so he would do things like that and, and be very creative, you know, within the game, right? That's the fun part. That's the fun part. On the, you know, I always say, like, they have no idea what you're doing. You can no. you put them on strings, like you tell them where to go. And if you can Absolutely. do a job of telling him where to go, you can always get open. And you were a hybrid. I remember when I first seen you play, and I'm like, man, this guy, I mean, you're like a, you know, <laughs> like that slash. I mean, because I, I wasn't sure when I first seen you, I wasn't sure if you were the running back. Yeah. Yeah, but you played slot. And I was like, but this dude moves really good, right? Like, you know, after you catch the ball, man, he got good feet. I'm like, man, this dude is a problem, right? Because, like, once you get the ball in your hands, it's like it's tough to bring you down, right? So yeah. you was that, that kind of uh, hybrid player that, like, in our league, you didn't see. Yeah. Like, think about it. Like, in the last 10 years, you didn't really see anybody, like, your size, um, your strength, your wide body, but you're slot back and you can move, right? Yeah. So you can look back year, year in and year out and not say – there, there ain't no Nick Lewis out there. I mean, uh, BC tried to bring in AC Leonard to do that. Yeah. Right. So they, people have tried. They, they've tried to find tried. bigger body guys. But like I said, it's, it's more about the mental than it was the physical. Right. Right. And that's where you can't do it because I knew how to think my way through a game. I knew how to think my way through situations, and it had nothing. I always felt like. Because I always tell my running backs last year, you have to play as but if you, you, have said, no you had help. you had good hands, yeah, too. So like I said, you know, you had people try, but you know, the, all the things that you brought, I mean, that's where you couldn't find in that person. They yeah. might find somebody that has the same body type, but catching the football, right, uh, <laughs> blocking, <laughs> uh, reading hot, you know, catching, you know flat ball and, and turning it up and like make a guy miss and man come on man. that's that's why you hall of fame <laughs> i appreciate it brother <laughs> just a matter of time I, yeah i can't wait to what get year is this for you guys uh next year will be my first year on the ballot so okay we'll see so is it three years or four years i mean three I can't years even tell now. i think it's, it's three I, years I, or i think you have to be out three years and then on the fourth year you yeah. get yeah the ballot, so okay 
We'll see, man. We'll see. But yeah, yeah. let's go back to You're the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. Growing up in Southern California, you talk about your brothers. What was the age range difference between you and your brothers, and where did you range in there? My oldest brother, Harold, is four years uh, older than me. Uh, Marcus is the next number two. He's three years older than me. And then um, we have a set of twins, Michael and Michelle. They're two years younger than me. And then there, there's a 13-year <laughs> a gap between uh, my youngest brother, Darius. Okay. So that's the dynamic. So give you a, an idea of the gap. When Marcus was running for the Heisman at USC, Darius is only three years old. Wow. Right. <laughs> so, so in that sense, um, I was a, what, freshman in college? Darius was three years old, man, running around uh, with the USC Letterman jacket on, you know, <laughs> you know, rooting for the Trojans. And eventually he goes to USC as well. But yeah, the the gap, um, yeah, that's the that's the gap range. And so, me growing up between my two older brothers and then the twins are two years younger than me, it's almost like I was like uh, that middle child, right? The middle yeah. child where, and we're not we didn't come real close until we we're much older, you know. So in high school, I didn't hang out with my Marcus or my brother Harold. <laughs> And I didn't hang out with my, my the twins because I was two years older than them. So I, I had my group of friends and I grew up. So I was like the, the true middle child. You know, they teased me that I was, you know, I didn't look like everyone else, right? They were all we found, Yeah, we, we, we found you on the bread basket in the front <laughs> porch. You know, all the stories. But, you know, there's all love there. And so okay. that's the dynamic of, um, of the family makeup. You know, I was a middle child uh, growing up as a kid. Did you have this, the mindset you wanted to compete with those guys and the brotherly, you know, always a competition and you wanted to prove yourself or like when you were growing up and you started in sports, like mm -hmm. how much influence did they have on you? They had a huge influence because um, they started probably a little bit later than I did. And so it's always like the younger ones always learn more uh, because they're exposed to more. And so, yes, I, my older brother, Harold and Marcus were a huge influence because, you know, me growing up, you know, being the next in line, um, I learned a little bit earlier. So when they started playing baseball, they started playing baseball a little bit older, like 10, 11. I mean, I started playing baseball when I was like seven playing uh, uh, Mighty Mites and then Junior Pee Wee, I mean, Junior, uh, um, the minor leagues, and then, you know, playing in the, the senior leagues. Um, so with that, yeah, they, I was exposed to a lot be doing to the fact because they had the, um, what's the brothers? We have professional, the Jacksons. Yeah. Uh, Monty Jackson and um, I think Melvin Jackson and Monty Jackson. Mm -hmm. They both played uh, professionally. They went to San Diego State, but Monty Jackson played for the, I want to say the Raiders, and the other brother played for the Rams. But they lived on our streets. So that, they were an inspiration, too, growing up, knowing about the, the Jackson brothers. 
nothing one play for the Giants uh, prior to. Um, and then we had the Kirkendalls. I mean, we learned pretty much everything from the Kirkendalls. It was like eight brothers. Yeah. And they um, – and how we started playing is when the Kirkendalls used to walk home from from school, they always had, like, uniforms on. Like, they had a baseball uniform on. And then we run to tell our dad, like, man, like, we want to play with the Kirkendalls. <laughs> and my father always said, if you guys do it, you guys can't quit. And then that's how he started to become involved in sports and be involved in the Suns being a coach and so you know with that it was very competitive uh you know our brother was competitive my father was competitive and so we learned all that stuff from our, our dad because you know as they would say chili bowl we call him red because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he played baseball he played football you know he really taught us about you know being part of a team you know, wherever the coach wants to put you, you know, you play because you're helping the team. And it was those things and lessons that were taught that helped us, you know, you don't care about what we do. Yeah. Because he used to take us to work. And my father's in construction. And he used to say, well, this is what you want to do in life because we would be, he'd be out there working as hard, brother carrying lumber in the hot wood, taking nails out of, you know, all those kind of things, you know. My father, my grandfather was uh, was a mason, so we would do cement work. You know, that's hard work in the hot wood. It is. And they used to always say, is this what you want to do in life? And we knew, no, this is not what we want to do in life. And so the dedication that we had, we understood hard work was, but learning those traits. I mean, even to this day, I'm, I'm like mad that I didn't learn any of those traits, right? Because <laughs> whenever you want something fixed, you got to hire somebody to do it, right? You yep. had that ability to do that. And so with that, but it was always life lessons for our dad, whatever he was trying to teach us, hey, this is a lesson for you. And, and that's pretty much how, how we grew up we didn't go on summer vacations. We spent all our summers at the baseball diamond or yeah. the football field and those things. And so we can appreciate now when I, I'm living in Canada and, you know, you go to a family cottage, <laughs> they come and invite you to your cottage and they understand that everything's relaxation and all this stuff, but it's really the same thing. Yeah. You know, my whole family was at the baseball diamond. My whole family was at the, the football field when we were playing. And that was our, like our family, you know, you know, coming together, you know, staying together, spending time with one another. And so I can understand the difference in what, how I grew up compared to what, you know, a Canadian family grew up where they say, we go to the cottage for the summer. You know, we, we play baseball for, you know, all summer or, all, or football all summer. And that was our, our time of family relaxation. And the family got to be together. Family got to be together. So, like I said, when we, we're playing, we play at nine. And we don't leave there till like evening time because, you know, there's four different uh, kids that are playing four different teams. And as soon as your game is over, and like you off to the road, you know, and playing, you know, tackle football like all day long <laughs> while your brother's playing his game, right? And so I mean, that's how you, we learn to play. That's awesome. That is awesome. What was your favorite sport playing growing up? My favorite sport uh, was baseball. 
My yeah. favorite sport was baseball growing up. That's why when I was a kid, I, I always wanted to find a way to give myself options. So that's why I played baseball and football all the way through college. Yeah. So since I was a kid, because at the end of the day, like I said, what I wanted was the ability to be drafted in baseball and football, and then I, I can make a decision which is best for me. I was able to fulfill that, um, which really made it cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Were you always a quarterback in football? Like from the no, first time you stepped on the field, would you play? No, I wasn't always a quarterback. Um, my first two seasons, I believe I was a defensive back. I probably wasn't hitting no, nobody. Or first year, <laughs> I played free safety. And in my second year, but we ended up winning a championship uh, my first year playing free safety. And then I think the second year, I was, I was a DB. Might have been a corner or something like that. And the ball was overthrown. So I just ran over there, picked it up, and I threw it back. And the coach says, hey, hey, I think we found our quarterback. Oh, wow. So it was, it was that experience, uh, just throwing the ball back, that, that introduced me to the position quarterback. Then after that, I've been a quarterback, like, ever since, uh, which is kind of strange because I always say, you know, do you, are, are leaders born or, or, or it's taught? And I say that, you know, everyone has the something in them that, that can lead or the characteristics that allows them to lead. But it's just like swimming. You know, you got to participate. You got to put in the work to be able to learn to be, a, you know, a leader and, and how it, it works. So the quarterback position is a natural leadership position. And so I was thrown in and I had to learn how to do it. And that's when I started watching other quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, the, you know, it was the first quarterback that I, I loved because I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So I was a Joe Gilliam. Fan. Oh, you a Steelers fan? Oh, I was a Steelers fan. Man, <laughs> Growing hurt. up. And that my brother, it's funny thing, my brother Mark has always been a Raider fan. Really? Always been a Raider fan because he loved uh, Jack Tatum. Mm -hmm. because at that time he was uh, a defensive back. He was a, a safety, so he yep. loved Jack Tatum. Uh, and so he always been that that uh, that Raider fan. But me, I was a Steeler fan, and I love uh, Tyree Bradshaw when he took over. But my first guy I ever seen was <laughs> Joe Gilliam, man. He had them high whites on. <laughs> he, he was built just like me, skinny, tall, but he could throw and so that was the first quarterback that I seen that I was like, man, that's, that's him. Joe, Joe Gilliam. Gilliam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then like Tim, and then during his, his time, and then you understand his history, what he had to go through. And then, you know, born in the sixties where you have of, uh, the understanding of, man, you got to be tough at this position. Yeah. They don't want you to play this position. And, and then, like I said, you start to read about Jackie Robinson. You start reading about Willie Mays. And, like, these are the stories that my father taught us, right? Yeah. You start to understand that, you know, you know, we come from – we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? And so when you get your opportunity, you know, you got to – you got to stand because it's these people, the Jackie Robinsons and the Willie Mays, you know, that opened the doors for you. And, yeah. 
the Warren Moon, the, the, the Joe Gilliams, right? And those things. And that's how the mentality started from there, is, is to, to really appreciate and have a greater respect for the game, yeah. whether it's baseball or football, due to the fact that there were times where colors couldn't, people of color couldn't even uh, dress in the same locker room. Yeah, that's but crazy. they can play the game, right? That's crazy, right? And so that's why, you know, when I was in that position, right, becoming a starter, you know, I had to take full advantage of it and, and also had to represent because there's a new, another generation of quarterbacks coming after me, right? Yeah, especially with the mindset that they used to say that blacks weren't smart enough to play right. the position. Right, just that mindset that you're not – not that you're not talented enough. You're not smart enough. Smart enough. And that's why, I mean, even now, I mean, it blew me away when I read about the uh, – Announcer? The Fitz, Fitz, uh, Fitz Pollard. Oh. The Fitz Pollard documentary. Um, it's on YouTube. You should check it out. This is a guy who was at uh, 1920s. Um, breaking in and so we always think about like the you know the the Jackie Robinson all of a sudden no Fitz Parler was 1920 and he became out. a uh, he became a head coach <laughs> a head coach and he was a player and so that dynamic what he was going through in 1920 when was it was just even it was crazy yeah um, and so even with that I mean like history's always been very important to me right and I love the research history uh, to to get a true understanding, like where I am. Not only you know what history can do for me, but where I am presently, and then from presently, you know what kind of legacy you can leave, right? And yeah. so it's those three, the three dimensions of time. Yeah. When you Make were, them. I'll go ahead. Go on. I was just going to say, when you were in, when, in high school, you said you, you won the state championships, um, getting ready to go to Cal State Fullerton. What took you there? And did you have any other options? The only, that was the only school that let me play two sports. Okay. That was the reason why I went to Cal State Fullerton. Um, there were some Pac-10 schools when I was coming out wanted me to uh, play baseball but not football. They weren't recruiting for me. Uh, and there were some schools that were just recruited me for football, but you wouldn't let me play baseball. And so Fullerton was the only school. And I didn't really know much about Fullerton other than I knew they had a, base, a good baseball program. But they didn't, you know, wasn't really nothing in the football, but even there in the PCAA. Yeah. And the PCAA at that time was uh, – uh, San Jose State, uh, Fresno State, um, UNLV, um, Randall Cunningham, Pacific, Reading Cunningham. Yeah, I was in the same conference as Randall Cunningham coming yeah. up. Uh, my senior year, we were both co-players of the year. Um, yeah, so we're competing against that, and then the PCLA, the PCAA at that time was the number one passing conference in the country. And it was a D1 school. And so my first year, I didn't start, but I was playing against some, like, some really, you know, you're watching some really good players play. 
So I'm watching Steve Clarkson for the first time, and he's he's at San Jose State. And I'm watching San Jose beat Stanford, like John Elway. <laughs> so Elway, John Elway was at Stanford. His father was a head coach at San Jose State. Um, John Elway Sr. Um, was the head coach of San Jose State. And they, they were running like the run and shooting. And so it was Steve Clarkson. That was like one of the first brothers I seen yep. in, in our conference that ripped it up. I think uh, when we played against them, I think he threw for like 400 some yards, five touchdowns. They had Mervin Fernandez on that team. They had uh, Tim Kears, you know, guys that we that yeah. we know of. You've heard of Tim Kears, right? Yep. Co- uh, coach in the, in the CFL. And Mervin just went to pick. the Hall of Fame had, last year, uh, I believe. Absolutely. Mervin yeah. Fernandez was there. They had Will Height was the, the tailback uh, that went to the league. Man, they had, like, they was a squad, man. They ran us out of the gym, bro. And I was like, man, I want that's what they, Steve Clarkson, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was, you know, we know Steve Clarkson today is, you know, the quarterback guru yep. in the United States. And they were just putting them numbers. I mean, it was a throwing, throwing league. And I'm, I'm thankful I went to that conference because it really taught me the passing game, too. And so that was the – the, the knee thing when I started to get to university and then I started to, you know, play. And then we playing against, you know, John Elway's dad and he's still coaching in San Jose. And by the time my junior senior year, we started dominating all those schools at Fullerton because we, we had a really good team. We won the PCAA my junior year. We had a seven and five record run the conference. And then the next year, we went 11 and one, made the top 20. Uh, we would have been 12 and 0. I mean, we ended up being 12 and 0 due to the fact that we played Vegas and they were they forfeited those games because they were playing with ineligible players. Yeah, we played them, and so they gave us the championship. But it was too late to go to the bowl game because <laughs> um, when they did that, they were already doing at the I think it was a California Bowl. They were already at the California Bowl. And then where they're trying to get us in a bowl game, play against Mississippi Valley State with the uh, the Raisin Bowl or something like that. That was when uh, they tried to get a game at Anaheim Stadium yep. against Mississippi Valley State against Cal State Fuller. They were trying to create a bowl to get us in there. <laughs> but they ended up taking uh, Iowa versus uh, Texas. Okay. So my senior year, we didn't go to no bowl game, even though we had an 11-1 record. And then we had, yeah, so from there, I mean, did I think I was going to play college football? No. I mean, it didn't even dawn on me, bro. <laughs> I mean, first of all, from my 10th grade year, I told you I didn't play football. Yeah. And then the two seasons that went CIFs, then next year I have a scholarship to go somewhere. Yeah. And then from there, then it started to dawn on me, like, okay, I'm being invited to the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I'm being invited to uh, uh, find out I was the property of the Edmonton Eskimos and then realize that, oh, yeah, well, that's the team that Warren Moon went to, right? Yep. I was following Warren Moon by that time and, you know, watched them play in the Rose Bowl. And so you get, you get all these guys that you watch and they become your, your heroes and you pay attention to them. And, and then you think about, you know, going in the same pathway. 
Warren Moon was the one that got me to, to, to think about going to the CFL. Wow. It's because when I was watching him, and then I knew that – because he didn't – you know, when my brother went to the NFL, you know, I was looking for Warren Moon. I said, where is he, man? He's not in the NFL. And then my brother's year in 1982, they strike. And then uh, they start showing CFL games in 82. And then they start showing living on the West Coast. They start showing Eskimo games, and then I said, "Man, that's the, that's where he is. He with the Edmonton Eskimos." And then my senior year, my coach didn't let me know that I was a property of the Eskimos because they had my rights since I was a sophomore. He let me know my senior year that day. There's a guy that used to come to your practice every day. Watch you the last two three years. He's a scout for the Eskimos, and his name was Ray Newman. Oh wow. <laughs> right. And then that's how I started to look at coming to Canada because I started watching Warren Moon. He was at the Eskimos. And then he's winning all these uh, great cups during that time. Uh, they were going on that five in a row. Five in a row. Right. And then, then I knew when the NFL was talking about changing my position, uh, when I went to the NFL combine, they were talking about changing my position. I knew that Edmonton wanted me to play quarterback. That's how I eventually came to uh, the CFL due to uh, Warren Moon's influence and and the fact that they wanted me to play quarterback. Yeah. But you had baseball, too, because you won the College World Series. I had baseball, too. You got drafted by the Tigers. So when you're making these decisions, you, you said earlier you wanted to have options. Now you have the CFL. You have Major League Baseball. How did you make your decision on that? Well, that decision was based on, um, I tell everybody, is uh, participating. So at that time, by the time I got to college, I was a middle reliever spot starter. So there are times when you play a three-game series and you may not even play because at that time they were starting to bring in the closer, right? So the closer would come in seven through nine and so middle relievers unless you're starting gets lit in the first few innings that's pretty much the time you will play because nowadays i mean they let the the starter fight through now yeah and so now middle relievers barely pitch now and so for me it it started to get like okay (laughs) being a middle reliever man you know you may go a three-game series and you may not play at all in football, I was, a, you know, starting. I played in every game, right? And so I think that's when the decision started to make clear to me. It's like uh, I love participating. Yeah. I want to be involved, right, in, in making a difference in a team, winning and losing. And I think that's when football started to, to take the number one precedent over uh, baseball. It's because of the position I was playing. And it might have been different if I was a starter, uh, you know, playing every – you know, pitching every five days is a little bit different than, than a mental reliever. I got tired sitting in the dugouts, man, waiting to get your name called. You know, you're playing C games, you know, you know, back there, you know, waiting for you to get warmed up. You get warmed up, you know, sit back down. So I was like, no, nah, this – I'd rather be a quarterback. You know, you play every, every game. And I think that's when the decision made uh, much easier for me to say I'm going to play football. In, I think it was 94. Your first CFL season was 1985. 85. 
And in 94, I believe it was, you went to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Right. <laughs> How did that come about? Like you signed a contract with the Pittsburgh Pirates 10 years into your CFL career. So that, that was very interesting because it was during the time I signed with Hamilton, which was in 92. When I signed with Hamilton in 92, there was a scout they're saying that they have these open tryouts in, in Pittsburgh Stadium. I'm like, yeah, open tryouts. And at that time, you know, even though I didn't play baseball, I always wanted to, you know, I never, even though I was drafted out of college, I never experienced it, right? And that's when I, I started to realize, like, okay, I never experienced what it's like going to spring training and all those things. And so in 92, I signed with Hamilton. But at, at this time, I had the conversation with the baseball scout was saying, hey, we'll give you opportunity to try out in this open tryout. <laughs> and so on my off days when I was playing with the Ticats, I was playing baseball with Hamilton Car Cardinals. So I would play baseball on my off days, like with this little semi-pro league. And I would yeah. pitch throw out, warm up, you know, get back into baseball. Because like I said, baseball was always, you know, something I enjoyed doing and preparing for this tryout. And this trial was also was part of uh, the trade, me going back to Edmonton in 93. So I had to, after the 92 season, we go, the year, the year before I got there, Hamilton was three and fifteen. I got there in '92. We went to the Eastern Final. Uh, we were eleven and seven, and we ended up losing the Winnipeg in the Eastern Final, not going to the Great Cup. And so the next year, they thought that uh, Don McPherson can do my job in Hamilton. And so I had to okay a trade. Edmonton wanted me to come back to to, to uh, Edmonton. So I had to okay the trade, Hamilton to Edmonton. And then I said, well, I got this tryout coming too. So I okayed the trade to go back to Edmonton because, you know, when you when you believe that, oh, oh, I think we we think Don McPherson can do your job. Everybody, <laughs> okay. You think he can do my job? I'll go back to my former team because, you know, I left a good team. So I okayed the trade. On the way, so we decided we wanted to, at this time, my wife and my children, we decided we wanted to drive. And the only way we drive is because we wanted to drive, stop off in Pittsburgh from Hamilton, drive down, stop in Pittsburgh, do the tryout, and then drive on to Edmonton. And so when I did, did that, at the time I'm prepared, been like throwing all year, the deal goes through, I go down to Pittsburgh. I always say that, you know, when you want to perform and you're given the time that you got to perform, this is, this is your time, bro, you got to perform. Yep. So I'm in Pirate Stadium in front of their head scout, the GM, the president of the club, and all this stuff. And I get on the mound and I'm throwing the fastball at 91, 92 miles an hour. Uh, I was throwing a slider. My breaking ball, like everything that I was pitching, right? It was like, like, man, okay. And they're asking me, like, where you been? I said, I've been playing football the, the last <laughs> 10 years. He said, well, we want to sign you. 
So I said, okay, I'll sign. He wants you to come to spring training in 94. So I sign. And then when I get to Edmonton, I tell the Eskimos that, you know, I'm going to go play baseball in 94, spring training. But I, I signed the, the, the two remaining years of my deal was 93, 94. And so get back to Edmonton. We go back to Edmonton, uh, start the season off. We're playing my former team, the Ticats. And I'm sitting there, they all talking about, you know, how your teammates go, man, oh, yeah, we, gonna, we know you good. You know, I said, oh, yeah, so no. Right? We hit them by, I think we beat them like 45-7 in Commonwealth. Mm. I put up big numbers. And then we finished the season, we won the Great Cup in 93. Mm-hmm. And so we won the Great Cup. I go back to training to get ready for spring training. And then 94 comes wrong. I go to spring training and I go there for like, like three, four months. And at this time, I'm actually doing pretty good in spring training, like pitching good, pitching well. Um, and then, and what happens is, we, what you don't realize in baseball, they put all their prospects in double A. They don't put them in triple A. They put them in double A. Yeah. So guys go from double A to the big leagues. And so I started off in spring training uh, playing with the double uh, the A team and the triple A team. And then what happens in baseball is it's this trickle-down trickle, trickle down effect. So when some guys leave from the big leagues, <laughs> it's a trickle-down. So triple-A, double-A. So all spring training, I'm pitching good. I'm a starting pitcher. Every five days I'm pitching, doing well. And then all of a sudden, the last week, then I'm supposed to go to the double-A franchise, right? Because yep. the, they had to fast-track me because I'm 30 years old. They had to see if I can, like, pitch. You know, they had to see if I can pitch at that level. And then by the time the last week goes around, I'm taking pitches for the uh, the double-A team. The last week, I'm, I got tri- tripled down to the, the A-ball, Winston-Salem. And so me with the coach there, and he said, well, you know, I don't know who you are. <laughs> you know, I didn't see you <laughs> pitching the big league. We're going to make you a middle reliever. I go from, like, being a starter all summer and spring training to a middle reliever. So that's wow. the thing that really started my right. So at this time, I'm going down there, and then we're playing in a ball stadium that, you know, is 290 down, the, like the, around the whole stadium. So a pop fly was going out. <laughs> yeah, pop flies were going out. And I was playing in a big stadium. It was 340 down the line. Pop flies yep. were staying in the stadium. But there, you had to keep the ball low, down, because pop flies were they were, you know, high ball where you think, you know, you, you know, you pitch, yeah. you pitch the ball and they hit the ball and, they, and you go like this, you know, it's a pop fly. It's staying in the stadium. And you look back and the guy's at the edge of the back of the fence back to you. are like, oh, this is a home run. <laughs> so that's how that all came about. And then I ended up coming back to Edmonton because they weren't willing to invest any money, even though I was pitching well down there. They weren't willing to get, uh, invest any money, so eventually I had to make a decision to come back to football. That's crazy. And, and then during that time, I had a chance to pitch against Michael Jordan and play against him and uh, with the Double A. My brother was down there. Spike Lee was down there. I mean, it was pretty cool, like to to experience that um, because he got bumped down to Double A and he was playing with the White Sox. So we played against them. I think I, 
I pitched five innings through a two hitter um, against uh, the double A team there. But like I said, at the end of the day, it came down to they weren't willing to invest in the 30 year old. So, yeah, that's the decision I had to make to come back to football. And then they had found out like how much money you're making. Yeah, it was a newspaper because, you know, it was always Canadian columnists would come down there, write stories. And then, you know, even that coach said, you know, uh, you know, you're a veteran, you know how to, you know, operate, you know, you know, look after some of these. I'm not, bro, I'm not here to babysit. <laughs> I'm here <laughs> almost like willing to give up a year of football to really try to make it. And so that's what I was trying to do. But like I said, the, the coach didn't really know me. And that was the unfortunate thing because he wasn't part of the, the fast tracking that I needed to see if I can pitch, right? Yeah. And it was unfortunate during that time I just made the decision to come back. And that was really, like, really the first time I've ever, like, quit something to go back to something. Got to be a great experience, though, to know that you, you gave it a shot, you, you enjoyed it. And you had, oh, um, yeah, right. And, and I think it, that was the thing that uh, when I look back, I said, that's what made me believe that if I had to win baseball from the beginning, I would have made it. Yeah. If I had left right out of college and went to Detroit, because if you understand during the time when I got drafted by Detroit, Detroit Tigers won the World Series that year in 84. I got drafted by. And then after that, they had those down years, right? Yeah. And so I would have been a pitcher during those times, right? I would have made it to the big league because the only best pitcher that was there at that time was Black, uh, Black Jack uh, Madow. Jack, uh, Jack, um, Jack Madow? The pitcher there. Yeah, yeah Jack yeah. Madow was uh, their, their best pitcher during that time. But then, like I said, that let me know I would have I made it to the big leagues. And but would have been pitching in the big leagues during that time. But it was like, it was, it was, the experience was, was amazing because uh, it's a sport I enjoy. And then it's a sport that I realized I've, just, I've been out of the game 10 years, but it didn't feel like I missed a beat. So the guy said, your arm is still wiry, still strong. I said, well, I've been throwing football, you know, 13 pound football these last 10 years. So yeah, it still remains strong but and I was always had the ability to you know go from one sport to another and not have that um, that much change in the development of throwing yeah because I mean, it's a different motion not really it's not really a different motion and that's why Mahomes is the way he is because his ability because he plays baseball his ability to drop down and throw and and drop down to different angles and throw the football yep. I'm pretty sure it's easy for him to. Ten years after that, you win a great cup. Pinball becomes the first black head coach to win a great cup. Yeah. What was that experience like? I was on the sidelines, by the way, so I enjoyed that. When you understand the history of it, then it becomes, like, much bigger. Knowing that, man, pinball is the first uh, – coach of African descent to win a great <laughs> like when you think of the history of the game that's like that's crazy right that's kind of history you like you would like to be involved with right and, yeah and knowing that history is important to you and so that's what made that that great cup even more special when you 
find out that history that pinball became the first person of color to win the great cup you know since then has been the only other person was chamberlain yep and who else just chamberlain just chamberlain just chamberlain uh, yeah in 13 Corey won it that's right so it's only been two that's it of the history of our game uh, orlando would have been three Orlando would have been three if they would like, you know, <laughs> came to the stadium and played. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, Winnipeg was a different team. Uh, yeah, you know, facing the Ticats, I, I believe the Ticats were favored based on their season and what they were able to do. And I was trying to get uh, the quarterback Dane Evans to to share what he would he would share because <laughs> I wanted to know like what did they do different because the the two previous years you guys were. They were dominating Winnipeg. Yeah. But what did what changed in the Grey Cup? So he didn't want to say that they didn't do nothing different, but Winnipeg's defense really took over in the playoffs. They really yeah. became a game changer in the playoffs. Yeah. They thought they could win games but by themselves and they, they basically did. No, absolutely. When it, it came down to it and like then the move to get go to Caleros, um, was was crucial too. Yeah. Because I think do you think they would have won with Nichols? I'm no. not sure. Because he's never shown that he can get past the first round or even show that he had the he had the capabilities of like you know, rising his game to the you know, to the the way it should be when you play at that level, right? Yeah, to me you gotta rise to the occasion. Yeah, you know, it ain't like a regular game. It's it's fifteen million and half the country watching on those big games. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so you have to ra- raise your game to that level. But that's how you be. That's how you remember too, right? Yeah. If I ask you, Nick, what did I do in the year we won in '93? What I do game ten? You wouldn't know, but you would know what I did on Great Cup Sunday. Yeah, in '93, right? And so, those are the things you, I think, as quarterbacks, things I dreamed about, like ever since I was a kid, like playing in those big games or making the big throw or, you know, running the, the the crucial run to keep a first down going or to run a touchdown or, or, hosting up a trophy. Like these, these are the kind of dreams that we have as kids, you know, throughout our lives thinking about, like saying, you making the big catch in, in the championship game. Because <laughs> I always say, like, you know, man, what's the most famous catch in CFL history that you're reminded of? They always show, they always show it. Most famous catch. Right. They always show it on the highlights. You mean in the Grey Cup game or just in a game? They always show the uh, Gabriel yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. They right. do it all the time. Yeah. They showed it all the time, right? And and I th- I believe that I want to say that's in a that was in a great cup. That game. was a great cup. Yeah, it's like the Tony Clark Clark catch. Right. They and I was show. like, man, I said Tony Gabriel, bro, you you become like instant popular just on that video they show year in and year out. Your famous corner catch. 
route route and so th- those are the things that we you know we dream about right as yeah. a kid if you're a receiver or you're a quarterback and those things and that's why when I got in those games I felt I was at my most relaxed state I've dreamed about it so much right <laughs> yeah uh focus on things so much and then I was when I got in those games it's like okay I'm I've been here before it's like deja vu like I, I, I've been in this game before I don't have to uh, be nervous and all those things. I mean, like I played this game already. Excited for the moment. Out of everything you've been through, all the awards you've won, what would you say was probably the most special? Was it the Hall of Fame? Was it winning the MOP at 42 years old? The only person to win it older was Gordy Howell at 46 in their league. You know, was it the Grey Cup MVPs? Was it getting drafted? What would you say was the number one thing that stands out to you in your amazing career and life achievements? Um, being inducted in the Canada Sports Hall of Fame was mm. like the, the biggest. Um, because now you're talking about the country's Hall of Fame, being part of that. And, you know, living in Canada and, and doing all these things, I, I didn't know that, you know, that I was, you know, eligible. I didn't know Americans were eligible for that. And so I would say being involved and being inducted in the Canada Sports Hall of Fame was, is the biggest. Because, like I said, that's the biggest uh, sports honor in Canada yeah. is being in the country's Hall of Fame. And so, to me, that would be the greatest. But far as uh, in the game of football, I think being the league most outstanding player at 41, 42 years old really um, validated my when I was in my prime. You know, the guys you were going against. I mean, I was going against, if you look at the quarterbacks I was playing against <laughs> during my time, I think I was playing against six, six to seven Hall of Famers. I was playing against, yeah, on a daily basis, game in and game out, compared to, you know, probably some of the quarterbacks that you're seeing today, like Bo Levi's playing against. Um, not saying that they eventually will, won't won't be, but the level of competition at the quarterback spot. Um, that's the team that I, that's the, that's what I'm, I'm talking about. Like you, you have to go against Flutie. You got to go against Dunnigan. You got to go against Tracy Ham. You got to go yeah. against Jeff Garcia, Dave. D- How's your Okay. You back? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what just okay. happened. Yeah. You just like, uh, you, you were fr- uh, frozen. Mm, that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, you, you were talking about I heard the Dave Dickinson and, and Dunnigan's and Tracy Hams and Yeah, I was saying that, you know, week in and week out, man, you're playing against, you know, really good quarterbacks and you had to go out there and perform, right? Uh, on a consistent basis. I said the level of competition at the quarterback position to me at times was much greater than what the quarterbacks are playing against playing against today. You know, when we look at the the best quarterbacks in the league, I mean what names do you look at the best quarterbacks in the league? 
mean, they, we clearly know gonna... Mike, Mike and Mike Riley and Bo are in a class of their own. Right. Then you have a second tier of guys. Right. But there's only like two or three in that second tier. And then the third right. tier is the rest. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big difference. Right. It's a big difference. So, like, <laughs> you're playing against Flutie one day. The next day, you're playing against Anthony Cavill. One day, then you, next game, you're playing against Matt Dunnigan. You're playing against Tracy Ham, like, you know, yeah. Ricky Ray. So, you know, from Jeff Garcia, like I said, I've seen all these guys in that 23-year span that if you can look at their careers, they're all Hall of Famers. Yeah. You know, not only saying, you know, the Austins, right? And I might be missing some guys, right? Yep. <laughs> sure. You know, from the start of your career, you play against Joe Powell. You play against uh, Tommy Clemens, J.C. Watts. I mean, there's just the names that I was watching and growing from and playing against throughout my whole career really let you know that um, the level of competition at the quarterback spot, uh, you had to come and play. Yeah, you was stood the test of time. Yeah, three years. You had to come and play. Yeah, you were a grandfather while you were playing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Didn't you have a daughter in college as well? I did. You had a daughter uh, in college. My oldest daughter, Amanda. Um, was I a junior? I was. It might have been a junior. Or she was born in 1985, the first year I went to the CFL. So, yeah. So, my yeah. senior year, I had a daughter. And then. So, she would have been time, 23. 22, yeah. 23. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Then, when before I left, I was, what, year 19? Uh, I was having a grandson. Hmm. And she was in high school. So, yeah, I was a true grandfather, actually, playing. (laughs) So, I mean, like, the end of the day, you know, I'm glad that, you know, we made decisions based on, you know, what's best uh, for our family um, to have the child and not abort it. I mean, it could have been any direction that we could have went if we, we didn't have the right mindset to be able to understand. And even in our own experience, I mean, I think part of why we allow her to have it is due to the fact that I aborted a child. Yeah. And even to this day, you know, I don't think the mother ever forgets it and the father ever never forgets it. And so we learned that lesson. We weren't going to do that again. Yeah. Even if it was our own child. And I so I'm very thankful that, like I said, I had, I was in the right mind to be able to say, no, we we're going to help you. We're not going to take over. And then to have the blessing of your grandson in your life, it's and he's part of your bloodline. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't even question what's the right thing to do. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, he just graduated high school. He's a soccer player, oh, that's you awesome. know, a skateboarder, right? He lives in D.C. His name is Justice, and it's pretty cool. 
That's awesome, man. You got so much to be proud of. Proud of. You've accomplished so much. Your brothers have accomplished much. Your sisters. Mm-hmm. You know, just your whole family has been a, a family of excellence. Right. We all have our challenges and all have our That's hurdles. Right. right. But when you can do it, and, and for as long as you've done it, uh, your brother's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Right. So to do these things and accomplish what we've accomplished and what your family has accomplished and, and then to be able to sit around and enjoy it mm-hmm. now and, and, yeah. and give back and help others is truly special. And I see that, you know, nine out of 10 times that you're posting either on the golf course or at a charity event. Right. Right. And uh, that's special that you continue to give back and you continue to be a positive influence to all those. And, you know, I remember 2014 Great Cup after the game, you came and hung out right. uh, with me and my family and everyone, right? That was very special for me because I've always looked up to you, right? I've always... Like, that's that's really cool for me. Like, Damon Allen just came and hung out with the family. Like, my dad was, like, super excited. And so just to have that experience, and among other times that we've hung out. Right. But, you know, that's special. And I don't think that you can ever understand what you mean to someone else when you just do things genuinely. Right. Right. No, no, I, I I know exactly where you're you're going, and what that means, because at the end of the day, it's 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 part of who I am, is how I was raised, and then at the same time, that very thing gives me joy, right? It gives me joy to have the a great amount of respect for like other players that you enjoy not only watching watch the play but you know your heart uh the joy in which you play um that's why i I would you know i know you're going to be successful and create create (laughs) one of the most creative guys out there especially at the receiving core when it comes to guys have ever played and of doing something and and i'd like to support those those kind of guys because like i said you you're willing to give back, uh, put a smile on people's face, and those things are important. And, and this, and I'm pretty sure it's. I can look back from your from meeting your 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 family and spending time with them. That's where they get it from. And so when I looked at your family, and enjoyed your time in 2014, I was like seeing my own family. Like, yeah. Yeah, which is like it's really cool, right? To be able to see, you know, how someone is raised, and then you get to know, you know, the kind of person they are. Yeah. Right, and so you're willing to do a lot for you know people like that, right? Yeah. Because I know your heart. I know where your heart is, right? That's it. You got anything now big going on? Anything big going on? Anything coming up that you're looking forward to? That the people need to know about. Wow. I I just think that once, um, you know, you prepare for a lot, right? Uh, for being very creative, you know, my girlfriend's been very creative in her 
her business and, um, and trying to foresee the future and where it goes. And she's helped me with that uh, because, you know, you got to prepare for, you know, a different ways of doing things. Yeah. And so in that sense, yeah, you, you're trying to be creative in the things you're trying to do and, and look at, you know, different ways to, to raise money, to uh, gather money, um, to make a living and all those things. You know, who knows uh, where I'll be next year. Uh, I might be a real estate uh, <laughs> agent. I don't know what I may, I may be, but I'm willing to, to look at those things. Uh, but still keep it in the contents of the things that make me happy, right? Yeah. You know, golf makes me happy. You know, so you, that's why I run all those golf tournaments, right? It's part of the give back, but it's, but it makes me happy as well, right? And so yeah. I still have to be creative in a, in a way that the things that I enjoy doing and trying to figure out and be creative enough to how can I make money at doing it? Yeah. You know, it keeps me young and those things, but yeah, I mean, I think once we get away, get away of the new wave, of how we how we're gonna live life, and sometimes it's very difficult to see, you know, foresee what's going to happen, right? Yeah. But the only thing we can do is, you know, prepare, because it's always it's it's giving you a um, a glimpse of how it's going to be. And so the glimpses is the one that's, you know, making us prepare and being creative and how the world's going to run the rest of the way. That's it. So I think we just have to continue to grow, learn, learn new things. <laughs> Always. Right. Be a constant and learner. Be a constant learner. I think that's the, the one thing that I, I try to, I try to do every day. Continue, continue to evolve. How can people get a hold of you? Or stay up to date with you, social media. Uh, to to my uh, my website. Yep. www.d9allen.com uh, uh, is the one way. Um, my other way is through Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Damon Allen Nine. I use Twitter and Instagram as my method of it, uh, what it, social media. Uh, my show. Like I said, I do my show out of uh, the Instagram, Damon Allen Live. Uh, Damon Allen 9, we, do, we go live on that. That's the best way to keep up with me. And so, you know, those things, you're still trying to learn how to use social media <laughs> to its greatest, right? That's it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the one that's still trying to learn how to use it to its fullest. That's it, but man. Those are, those are social media platforms that I'm on. Well, I appreciate you coming through. It's been a blessing. Always enjoy to hear the stories. And I definitely want to have you on uh, mine. So, you know, awesome. be prepared to uh, get that, uh, that Instagram inbox message. Thursday at 4. Thursday, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thursdays Thursday at 4. That's right. So, yeah, I know. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that I can share the platform. I'm glad I can um, support other guys. And, you know, it's good that, you know, I tell a lot of these guys now, I'm like, dude, once you're done, you no longer compete with each other. You can only right. support each other. You're right. Right. And um, I think I have and There are times that you have to, you know, after you're done, you realize, too, you know, the sporting business, you're done, right? They're all yeah. – to 
the next guy they're trying to promote this on their team, right? And even though you may have all this status, it's really going to come down to the amount of work that you put in, right, to keep yourself relevant in those things. And so, yeah. <laughs> Some teams do a better job with their alumni. Other teams are like, <laughs> they forgot who you, that you played for them. That's it. But, but that's all good. Uh, that don't stop me from, uh, you know, moving forward and evolving and doing your things. That, Like I said, at the end of the day, that puts a smile on my face. So that's the most important, to have that peace um, and that joy about, you know, waking up and, trying to create something yeah well i have something for you soon man i i definitely love to to talk to you about it i'll be calling you soon yes. i'm launching something here pretty quick and uh it's gonna be fun it's gonna be exciting it's gonna be new and um it's definitely creative so all right you're gonna yeah, i know it. you will be <laughs> I, I, wait, I can't wait to hear well i appreciate you coming through man this is another edition of lulu logic podcast and we out Got it.